0: Based solely on who or where it came from, anyone ever done that? Maybe a relative, maybe a friend, tried to give you some advice, but you know you're sitting there thinking, well, who are you? who are you to tell me what to do in this situation right You don't know what I'm going through. Why, why should I listen to you? Or how about this? How about if I said, uh, "You know what, I saw a report on CNN that said, as soon as you heard CNN you'd, you'd be like that, right? Or how about this one? hey i'm um, Fox Network, it said, the rest of Fox, you actually believe that stuff they say on Fox, right? See, there's actually a name for when we do this. I didn't know this until this past week. Uh, but when we disregard information based solely on the source of the information, it is called genetic fallacy. Doesn't that just bless you? Aren't you glad you came to church? Turn to the person next to you and say, man, I'm so glad I came to church today <laughs> to hear about genetic fallacy. All right? Stay with me, though, because I do have, there, there's a method to my madness here. A genetic fallacy occurs when a claim is accepted as true or false based on the origin of the claim. So instead of looking at its actual merits, the, the actual merits of the claim, it's it's judged based on its origin or its source. The point being, it is easy, easy, easy to discount information based on the source of the information rather than the merits of the information, which is unfortunate because there are times when that advice could keep us from becoming our own worst enemy. We're in part three, uh, the final message of this series, how not to be your own worst enemy, something that we have all done at some time or another. In this series, we're talking about some some things, some principles. We're calling them Preemptive strikes—three preemptive strikes that we can use, that we can employ, that will help keep us from becoming our own worst enemy. Preemptive strike number one, week number one was: pay attention to the tension. Pay attention to the tension. Pay attention when you're considering a couple of options, or, or facing a big decision, or any any decision for that matter. And and there's something inside of you that kind of eh, I don't know about that, you know. Pay attention to that. Pay attention to that, right? Say, well, you know, there's just something that you you feel uneasy about it. See, no matter, look, doesn't matter what anyone else says, what the circumstances look like. If there's something inside of you that's kind of hesitant, you need to pay attention to that. Don't rush by that. Sit on that for a while. Let it bother you. Let it bother you until you can come to some kind of agreement or reconciliation for that decision. So pay attention to the tension. Preempty strike number two we looked at last week. Pay attention to your narratives. To, to your self-talk. Pay attention to what you say to yourself. Pay attention to to how you frame things, how you frame decisions, how you frame relationships, how you frame your experiences in life. Because our internal narratives can be helpful, but they can also be harmful to us if we're not careful. So pay attention to the tension, pay attention to your self-talk or your narratives. And then the third preemptive strike that we're gonna look at this morning is pay attention to the voices of wisdom around you. You know, in my experience in watching people do something that caused them to become their own worst enemy. In most instances, not always, not always, but in most instances, they were warned. They they were warned. Someone, someone close to them, someone in their realm of influence had a different perspective on that situation and, and tried tried to warn them. Somebody in your life said, eh, I don't know about her. Or him, really? Are, are, are you sure? Are you sure? Right? Or I don't know about that. Right? I don't know about that financial decision. I don't know about that investment. I don't know about you fill in the blank. Right? That's why learning to listen to the voices of wisdom in your arena of life is so important because if you're in the middle of making a big decision right now, choosing between a couple of options, and there's, there's a little hesitation, a little tension. Here's what I know. Somebody is feeling that tension that you're ignoring. Someone's feeling it. Someone close to you probably is feeling that tension that you're ignoring. There's somebody around you that's connecting some dots that maybe you're not connecting. And possibly, just maybe, they're trying to warn you, trying to tell you. To help illustrate this third preemptive strike that we're looking at this morning, I want to look at another story in the Old Testament. We looked at an episode in King David's life a couple weeks ago in week one of the series to illustrate how we're supposed to pay attention to the tension. As we conclude the series this morning, I want to look at another Old Testament story, another Old Testament king. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 12. Solomon is actually the king at this time, but it's towards the end of his, his rulership, and his son, Rehoboam, is going to be taking over. But at this time, everyone just assumed that Solomon's son, David's grandson, Rehoboam, would take Solomon's place. That's just how things worked back then, right? Which ended up happening. That actually happened. But there's a twist to the story. There's a twist to the story. And, and, and in order to explain the twist, I need to introduce you to another guy. And this other guy's name is Jeroboam. Jeroboam. So we've got Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And lesson number one of this morning's message is if you ever come to the place where you don't feel like you have anything to, give thankful, to be thankful for, you can get up in the morning and get down on your knees and thank God your mama didn't name you Rehoboam or Jeroboam. So that's at least one thing that you can be thankful for, right? Jeroboam, we're told, was a man that had a great reputation among the people. He was a hard worker. He was a great leader. In fact, he had such an impressive resume that Solomon actually put him over his, his, his labor department would have been a, the equivalent of their labor department. All of those who, who worked the manual labor. And that would have been huge because at that time in his life, Solomon was building so many buildings and so many monuments to himself that he employed over 150,000 stone cutters and stone transporters. So Jeroboam was in charge of this massive, huge, important stone cutting and transportation project. So one day at the end of the work day, Jeroboam's leaving the city and a prophet comes up to him, walks up to him and does something pretty bizarre. This prophet takes off his coat and he begins ripping his coat into 12 pieces. And then he hands 10 of those pieces to Jeroboam. And then he says this to Jeroboam. After ripping his coat, taking off his coat, ripping it into 12 pieces, handing 10 of them to Jeroboam, this is what he says to Jeroboam. 1 Kings eleven thirty one. 31. And he said to Jeroboam, "'Take for yourself 10 pieces, "'for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, "'Behold, I'm about to tear the kingdom "'from the hand of Solomon, "'and will give you 10 tribes.'" So God told Jeroboam through the prophet that he was going to divide the kingdom into two parts and that he was going to rule over 10 of the tribes and then the other two would stay with Solomon and then eventually uh, Rehoboam, all right? Now, question, why would God tear the kingdom from Solomon's hands, right? Well, when you read on, you discover that God was doing this because of Solomon's disobedience and, and even idolatry. You know, Solomon, and this might be hard for some of you to accept, but towards the end of his life, Solomon was not at a good place spiritually. Not at all. In fact, he would have been considered a pagan king. And I say pagan because he worshiped multiple gods, and that's the definition of a pagan, somebody who worships multiple gods. In 1 Kings 11, verse 4, listen to this. For when Solomon was old, his wives, that's for another sermon, When Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Sad, sad ending of Solomon's life, but it's a powerful lesson. Think about it, because the Bible in one place describes Solomon as the wisest man who ever lived. Think about this. The wisest man who ever lived backslid. That's something to ponder. That's something to ponder, So after this somewhat bizarre encounter that Jeroboam had with the prophet, he can't keep his mouth shut. I mean, for obvious reasons, that was a pretty bizarre, you know, it's not like that happens every day. So Jeroboam goes around, starts telling everyone, man, this this crazy prophet, he came up, he took his coat off, tore it into 12 pieces and gave me 10 of them and said that I was going to rule over 10 of the tribes of Israel. Well, Solomon catches wind. Eventually, you know, this word spreads. And you know, the, the sitting king, when he hears that someone else says they're gonna be king, well, you know what they do they get rid of him. <laughs> they get him. So Solomon puts a bounty on Jeroboam's head to, you know, to squelch this talk about this other king. Jeroboam hears about this, so he flees to Egypt. He, he goes down to Egypt until Solomon finally died. Now, this is where the story gets really interesting. But first of all, any questions? Are we all good on the Jeroboam, Rehoboam, all the Bohems we're all tracking together? All right. Solomon eventually dies the people gather in Shechem, which was the capital city at that time for the huge public coronation of Rehoboam, who's going to take over for his father, Solomon. So, so they're out in the courtyard. In the meantime, Jeroboam had heard that Solomon died. So he comes back. He figures, well, it's safe for me to go back. So he goes back. And of course, he's, the people still respect him. So he's kind of the spokesman. He's not king yet but almost, but he comes back, so he's kind of the spokesman for the people. So the people are gathered in the town square for this coronation of Rehoboam as the new king of God's people. And so everyone's gathered there, but then the people tell Jeroboam, they, 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 they wanna ask something of, of Rehoboam. And so Jeroboam, as the spokesman, he goes to Rehoboam and he says, hey, uh, before we officially coronate you as king, the people have a request of you. So Rehoboam says, okay uh what 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 is that request right so the request was this in first Kings chapter twelve verse four. This was the request of the people. Your father talking about Solomon because he's talking to Rehoboam, your father made our yoke heavy, now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you in other words, they tell Rehoboam. You know, your father was, you know, like all the other kings, towards the end of his rulership there. I mean, he was, treat, he was working us like dogs, treating us like slaves. Would you consider, Rehoboam, would you consider kind of backing off a little bit, cutting us some slack, right? We'll support you. We'll serve you. You know, we'll be loyal to, to you till the end of the day. But, but would, you, would you kind of back off a little bit from all this nonstop construction, you got to you got to quit taking our men out of the cities and cutting stone all day and dragging all those stones back. You, you got to lighten up a little bit, Rehoboam. So at this point, Rehoboam makes two really good decisions. The first one is seen in verse 5, 1 Kings 12, verse 5. He said to them, to the people, he said, go away for three days, then come again to me. So the people went away. So basically, Rehoboam says, look, let, let me sit up, let me, let me ponder this. Let, let, let me think about this. I, I hear what you're saying. So g- give me three days, let me think about it and then and then come back. And then the second good decision that Rehoboam made right after that was, is found in verse six, 1 Kings 12, verse six. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive saying, how do you advise me to answer this people? In other words, King Rehoboam, he went to the elders. He sought counsel from the elders. Many of the same guys who had served as elders and and counselors for his father. So These are many of the same guys. These guys are older, they're wiser, they have perspective. So this was a good idea because these men who had advised Solomon, they had so much more life experience. They knew what Solomon didn't know, and they knew what Rehoboam would never know as king. So, so these, were, these were good men to go see and seek advice from. And he asked them, Rehoboam asked him, how would you advise me to answer the people who have asked me to kind of lighten up on them? And here's what the old guys said. Here's what the elders said in verse seven, 1 Kings 12. And they said to him, if you'll be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. So basically, the counsel of these older, wiser men was, Rehoboam, if you'll just serve these people, put their interest before yours, then these people will always be loyal to you. Rehoboam, you want to be king of the United Kingdom? Here's the formula. Here's what you do. Serve the people, put their interest ahead of, own, ahead of your own, and it will be a United Kingdom. Very wise counsel, wouldn't you say? Did Rehoboam follow it? Well, I think you know, but let's go ahead and read. Verse eight, 1 Kings 12, verse eight. But he, Rehoboam, abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him. Abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him. So Rehoboam rejects the advice of the wise old guys because what do they know? They're a bunch of geezers. Half of them probably got Alzheimer's. They don't even know what day it is, right? Right? He discounted good advice because of where the advice came from. You see, it was what he needed to hear, but it wasn't what he wanted to do. Let me say that again. It was what he needed to hear, but it wasn't what he wanted to do. But, and and this is where we all need to dial this in right here. It was the only way to get to where he wanted to be. He just didn't realize it. That was the only way to get to where he, you know that there are people perhaps in and around you that have the advice that you need to get to where you want to be or where you want to go. And you might be discounting that advice based on who they are or their lack of, seemingly lack of experience. They've never been a parent. They've never had kids. How could they possibly know? They're too young. What could they know about this? They've never been where I met. They've never gone through a divorce. They've never been in a second marriage. They've never tried to blend a family. How are they going to give me advice on this, right? Maybe. Just maybe there's someone around you who has advice that will help you get to where you want to be. In this case, for Rehoboam, where he wanted to be was ruler over a unified kingdom, a united kingdom. And the wise guys told him, this is, you want, that's what you want. Here's how you do it. Serve them, be nice to the people. Serve them, put them first. But he didn't want to listen to that. So you know what he did? He did what many of us do. He found some people who would tell him what he wanted to hear. Dear ones, you want to know how to become your own worst enemy? You surround yourself with people who will tell you what you want to hear. And before long, you're going to be your own worst enemy. Count on it. Because that's how you end up where you don't want to be. But not only did he reject the wise counsel of the elders, he turns to his friends, his buds, and he asks their opinion. It says, and he took took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. Verse 9, 1 Kings 12. And he said to them, so Rehoboam gets his, his fraternity brothers together, all his buds, partying guys, right? He gets them together. He says, hey, you know, the people said that uh, they're asking before I become king if, if, if I would just, you know, kind of lighten up on them a little bit. What do you guys think? Right? And he said to them, what do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father has put on us? So, question. Whose advice are you currently ignoring? It may be bad advice. You may need to ignore it. But just for the moment, just for the moment, whose advice are you currently ignoring? And then here's here's the real kicker. Here's here's what makes this question so powerful. What, What is the internal narrative? Last week, we were talking about this internal narrative. What is the internal narrative you're using to reinforce your resistance to their advice? In other words, what is it in you that's causing you to to think, well, they don't have any experience. They're not qualified to to give me advice. See, because that's going to be an indicator as to whether or not you're resisting good advice or bad advice. And if there's something, listen, if there's something in you that says, what could they possibly know about, then you need to hit pause. You need to hit pause at that point because you're about to become a victim of a genetic fallacy at that point. Some of the best coaches, think about this, some of the best coaches at any level in any sport have never excelled at the game in which they now coach. Some do, but many don't. I think of Roy Williams, Hall of Fame basketball coach at KU, then at Carolina, he's retired now. He was a JV player in high school. A JV player on his high school team, right? Didn't even make the varsity. Same with Bill Self. Now, Bill Self was a decent player. He played at Oklahoma State, and he started some games. But you know what? I looked up his career stats. I had better stats. I had better career stats as starting point guard for the Waxahachie Assembly of God Church League team (laughs) than Bill Self had at Oklahoma State. But you know what? I don't think I'm on KU's short list of replacements for Bill Self. But because the game didn't come easy for them, they became students of the game. And students of the game are naturally more observant. And coaches who are more observant connect better with their players. And they both, now think about this, they were both mentored by old, wise coaches. Yeah. So their success, think about this, their success has less to do with their athletic experience and more to do with listening to wise counsel and advice. All I'm saying is be careful that you don't discount good counsel based solely on the source of the advice, because we tend to do that. We really do. Back to the story. Rehoboam rejected the advice that the elders gave him, and he consulted the young men, his fraternity brothers that he grew up with and partied with, right? And they're kind of serving as his cabinet members now. Young men who had no more life experience than he did. See, here's the thing. We can always find somebody who's going to tell us what we want to hear. You'll always find someone, someone to tell you what you want to hear. So then we can do what we want to do. Right? Come on. You know, I'm, 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 I'm preaching. I'm preaching. 84% better than you're responding. I'm just telling you. <laughs> but here's what you need to know. When you always get what you want, you end up where you don't want to be. When you always get what you want, you end up where you don't want to be. If you only do what you want to do, you'll eventually arrive at a place in your marriage, in your finances, in your profession, academically, spiritually, relationally, doesn't matter. You will arrive precisely where you don't want to be and you'll become your own worst enemy, which is exactly what happened to Rehoboam. He found some guys who would tell him what he wanted to hear and this was their advice. This was his friend's advice. He rejects the advice of the wise elders, and then he asks his fraternity buddies, "What? hey, what should I do here? What, will you guys tell me what I should do here? And here was their response. This was their advice, 1 Kings twelve ten, And the young men who had grown up with him, Rehoboam, said to him, thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. What he's saying there is, you ain't seen nothing yet. You think my father was harsh on you guys? You you buckle up because you ain't seen nothing yet. That's what he's saying there. Or that's what they're telling him to say to them. Verse 11, 1 Kings 12, and now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, I will discipline you with scorpions. A scorpion was a, a type of whip that was used to punish a criminal, not a slave. They actually had different types of whips for different types of, of beatings back then. But uh, the scorpion whip, it was the same type of whip that they used on on Jesus because he was... A, a criminal. They they considered him a criminal, and and a scorpion whip had the little pieces of metal and glass and sharp rocks in it, right? So uh, basically, uh, here here here's what here's what Rehoboam was saying, or what they were telling Rehoboam to tell the people. My father treated you like slaves. I'm going to treat you like criminals. That's basically what they were saying. So sure enough, three days later, Rehoboam goes back to the people, or the people come back. Jeroboam's there as a representative because he he heard that Solomon had died and so he comes back. He thinks it's safe to come back. So they're all there in the town square, right? Ready to coronate and inaugurate Rehoboam, right? And then Rehoboam gets up there with his buds flanked on each side and then basically tells him, uh, no, no, I'm not gonna lighten up on you. In fact, I'm gonna make it worse for you guys, right? So after Jeroboam relays that message to the people, pretty much the, the, the people are said, uh, they were like, okay, fine. If you want to do that, then go ahead and, and you know, rule your two tribes because we ain't, we ain't, you're, you're not our king. And then they left, and then they left. The moment, the moment Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders, his fate was sealed. And so was the fate of the nation because a series of unwise decisions would lead to a catastrophic decision that would impact thousands upon thousands of lives. So Jeroboam tells the people, "Hey, I'm not going to lighten up. I'm not going to make it easier. I'm going to work you harder." The, pe- the people tell Rehoboam, "Go ahead. Go. Rule- you ain't our king then." And then they leave. Well, Rehoboam kind of gives. He's like, "This kind of catches him by surprise." Right? Where, where are you guys going? I, I'm the king now. You're not our king. And they leave. So Rehoboam he thinks this is a minor setback. He goes to his buds, his 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 advisors at that time. And he's like, you know, I don't understand this, but just give them some time. They'll, they'll, they'll calm down. They'll, they'll, you know, they're, they're just being emotional. Give them a few days, you know, they'll, they'll come around, right? They're overreacting. Give them a few days. There's not going to be any divided kingdom. This is all good. Shortly after all this, King Rehoboam made another terrible decision. He sent his secretary of labor, all right, over the, his labor force. He sends them out after a few days to go mobilize some people from those 10 tribes to go to work. So when this guy shows up, you know what they did? They killed him. They stoned him to death. Stoned him to death. They're like, hey, who are you? Who are you telling us? No, no, no. You had a chance. You had the opportunity to, to rule the United Kingdom, but it had to be all about you. You wouldn't listen to the wise counsel because what do a bunch of old geezers know anyway? No, no, no. You had your chance. And the sad postscript to this story tells us that Since then, think about this, since then, since Rehoboam's fatal decision to reject the wise counsel of some of his elders and take the advice of people who told him what he wanted to hear, ever since then, the 10 northern tribes have been in rebellion against the house of David, the two southern tribes, to this day. And the kingdom never came back together. So, as a result of that decision, the kingdom was divided. When it was divided it was weakened. When it was weakened, it became vulnerable. And when it became vulnerable, it became invadable. And that's exactly what happened. The opposing countries, nations around there came in and invaded them and destroyed them. Just like me, just like you, when we refuse to pay attention to the voices of wisdom around us. So when it comes to seeking advice, counsel, direction, you, me, we all would be better served if we would do this one very simple thing. Find someone who has nothing to gain and nothing to lose by telling you the truth. Someone you trust. Go to them and simply ask them, what would you do if you were in my shoes? What would you do here in this situation? Regardless of their experience or apparent lack of it. Just someone you trust, has nothing to gain or lose and just go to them and say, what would you do if you were in my situation? Shortly after coming back to the Lord, because I had accepted the christ I had accepted Christ as a child, and then for about a decade, I kind of went off and lived a pretty reckless lifestyle for a lot of years, and then I came back to the Lord. so at twenty years old, I came back to the Lord, I was working as a janitor, living in my dad's house, so I was really you know I had it going on, right. I had just come out of this reckless season of life and I was still battling some of the life-controlling issues that were hindering my relationship with the Lord. And so, so one day I went over and talked with one of the lead elders at the church that I was attending at the time, uh, Must, the Mustard Seed, which is Rev City now. But at that time, it was the Mustard Seed. And, and one of the lead elders in, in that church was a guy by the name of Nick Willems. Nick was an engineering professor at KU, but he was also a very godly man, a very wise man. I went over to his house one morning and I shared with him my struggles. I said, "Nick, I said, you know, I just I'm trying to get some traction with the Lord. I'm, I'm trying to do the right things. I just don't know what I don't know what God has for me. I'm, I'm trying to get some direction here." As we talked and I'm kind of you know laying this out before him, at one point he said, uh, "He said, Curtis, he said, have you ever considered going to Bible school?" Kind of caught me off guard because you know I'm sitting, you know, I was like, I think I said, I don't want to be a missionary. I don't want to be a pastor. He said, you know, not everyone that goes to Bible school is a missionary or a pastor. He said, sometimes people go to Bible school just to to get plugged into God, to get a sense of direction, you know, build a strong spiritual foundation. Anyway, we continued to talk for a little bit, and uh, he prayed for me, and then I I left. But I'll be honest, I I didn't do what he asked. I, I didn't pray about going to Bible school because, honestly, where I was at at that point, you know, there was nothing in my narrative about going to Bible school. So I didn't even pray about it, and since my network of friends at that time were mostly KU students, most of the encouragement that I was getting was about taking classes at KU. You know, I mean, people weren't deliberately trying to steer me wrong, but that was their narrative. You know, they they, they felt like they were doing God's will, so they're like, well, maybe this maybe this is God's will, so maybe you should enroll at KU. You know, so um, I did. Next fall, I enrolled at KU and started my journey to becoming a fisheries biologist. Why a fisheries biologist, you ask? Because I like to fish. The problem was no one told me how much science and math you need to become a fisheries (laughs) biologist. So after three semesters at KU, there I am still spinning my wheels with no real sense of direction. At the beginning of that third semester a friend of mine who attended church with us, he ended up (laughs) enrolling at that same Bible school that Nick had talked to me about a year and a half before. He had gone down in January. He went down in spring semester. So a couple months later in March, me and some other friends over spring break, we drove down there to visit him. During that visit, it was like I was just, I was blown away. And I came back and I could not get that school out of my mind. And I began to wonder, God, is this what you have for me? You know, coming down to Bible school here. And again, even at that time, I wasn't thinking about missionary or pastor. I was just, I was at the point then where it's kind of like, you know what? If this thing's gonna have any chance at all, I gotta, I gotta make a clean cut from my friends. Because and I didn't share that part. Why well, I kind of alluded to it, but honestly, that that was a large part of my problem was my old friends. And when Nick talked to me a year and a half before then. When he mentioned going to Bible school, I'll admit, there was some tension there. And that tension was because I'm thinking, well, I have to leave all my friends. And I blew right by that tension when he talked to me about that. Come back from that trip, begin to pray about it. In August of 1978, almost two years after Nick asked me to pray about attending Bible school, two years later, I loaded all my belongings into my 62 Chevy pickup and drove to Dallas, Texas, and enrolled at Christ for the Nations Institute. And you know, I've got to be honest with you, there are still times when I wonder how much further along I would be in my relationship with God had I heeded that wise elder's advice and went to Bible school when he first mentioned it to me. I mean, God's able to redeem the time, right? God's able to redeem the time. There's no question about that. But it wasn't until I actually visited the school through that series of circumstances that I realized that Nick was right all along. But even though I was two years late on missing God, again, God always has a way of redeeming the time. Because five months after moving to Dallas and enrolling at CFNI, at the beginning of the spring semester, I attended a chapel service one night and met my future wife. So that was a good decision, man. How many of you know that was a good decision, right? Turned out to be one of the best decisions that I ever made. Now, would I have met Sue had I attended when Nick first encouraged me to go? I don't know. I know she would have only been 17, so that could have been a little creepy. (laughs) But God's timing is always right. God's timing is always right. Here's the point. Somebody can see what you can't see. Somebody can connect the dots that you're not connecting. There's somebody, maybe someone close to you, that's not distracted by your internal narrative because they have a different narrative. So here's your homework, and I wanna pray for you. Would you commit to this? Don't, Don't automatically discount advice based on the source of the advice, right? Now, obviously, there's some advice that we should discount, right? But you're smart enough to know the difference. If you make this commitment, if you'll make this commitment, you'll expand the realm of wise voices that are surrounding you, and that's a huge deal. Here's why. Wise voices set you up for wise choices. Every single person that's blown up their life, every single person that's become their own worst enemy, that moment in time that they wish they could go back and undo was preceded by a series of unwise decisions. But if we'll listen to the voices of wisdom, we'll make better decisions, we'll live with fewer regrets, and we avoid becoming our own worst enemy. So, wrapping up, the three preemptive habits that I hope you'll take seriously, pay attention to the tension. Pay attention to your narratives and pay attention to the voices of wisdom around you. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Again, the first thing I want to do is I want you to ask the Holy Spirit what he wanted you to learn from this message. Just ask, Holy Spirit, what what did you have for me from this message? Don't just ask him now. Ask him later tonight. Ask him in the morning too, during your quiet time. Lord, what all did you want me to learn from that message yesterday? Thank you, Lord. Lord, as we conclude this series, remind us by your Holy Spirit to revisit these preemptive strikes that will help prevent us from becoming our own worst enemy. Prompt us to pay attention to the tension, to to our narratives and our self-talk and especially help us to pay attention to the voices of wisdom that you bring into our lives. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted that invitation to God's kingdom that God sent through his son, Jesus Christ, or maybe you did at one time, but you're currently not in an ongoing, growing relationship with, with God, if that's you, it would be my honor to lead you in a prayer where you can come to know your creator, your heavenly father in a very personal and profound way. If that's you, if you would just repeat this prayer after me, just say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm, I'm broken. I know I can't fix myself. I've tried. But I believe that you can, Lord. Your word says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that he rose from the dead, that we would be saved. So I'm, I'm doing that now. I'm I'm making that confession right now. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe he's my Lord. And that he rose from the dead for me. Thank you for dying for me, for rising from the dead for me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me live my life for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name.